Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of My JavaScript Story. This week, we're talking to Phil Hawksworth. Phil, do you want to say hi? Hey, how's it going? Nice to see you, Chuck. How are you doing? Doing all right. Now, uh, I just want to let people know if you want to hear more from Phil or our friend Divya. Uh, they were on episode 347 of JavaScript Jabber. We talked about the Jam stack. And if you stick around DevChat, TV long enough, you're actually going to see the fruition of that conversation come to pass because <laughs> I am moving my site over to a uh, Jamstack site. So nice. FChat.tv will be Jamstack instead of WordPress. Oh, that makes me happy. -ish. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Yeah. That's something you're working on right now? Yes, it is. Uh, I spend a couple hours every week on it. Um, and I say that very loosely because I've been pretty busy traveling. So it's the weeks I'm not traveling. Right. Um, but I think this week or next week, I'm just going to buckle down and get it done. Awesome. Um, and get it all moved over. But yeah, I've, I've been using 11DJS based on your recommendation. Oh, I'm a fan of that as well. It's, it's funny. People, are, people around the office make fun of me a tiny bit because I go on about it so much because I feel like I've, I've found my, found my uh, static site generator that just kind of fits me. So I'm yeah. using it quite a lot and I'm quite enthusiastic. Yeah, it's actually funny. I've had a few people ask me why I'm not using Jekyll because I've been doing Ruby forever. But right. Yeah. I picked it up and it just kind of, everything kind of naturally fell into it. So... Yeah, and it, well, it makes sense for me as well because I'm I'm more of a JavaScript guy. I've, um, when it comes to to Ruby, I did just enough to be dangerous, uh, but yeah. I was always floundering a tiny bit. So no matter how much I loved Jekyll, uh, there was always the slight kind of overhead for me of not really knowing what I was doing with Ruby. So uh, yeah, Eleventy kind of fits the bill for me from that point of view because I don't have to learn another another technology, yeah. which is nice. Well, and for the, the most part, uh, with Eleventy. Um, so my import scripts written in Ruby, but, uh, the rest of it, mm -hmm. I mean, it's mostly config, honestly, that right. I'm writing in JavaScript. The rest of it's just markup with, uh, nunjucks or mm -hmm. handlebars or whatever I'm using there. So, right. Um, yeah. and it's interesting too, cause on the, I'm also using it on PodWrench, which is my podcasting tool that I've been working on forever. Oh, wow. So you're I'm using probably, it in a few places. Yeah. So the static, so the static end of things is all. Uh, 11D and then the app is written in Rails. Right. But yeah, so if you go to app.podwrench.com, mm -hmm. then uh, yeah, it, that, that's all Rails. But if you go to podwrench.com, yeah, the blog and everything else there is just going to be a static site that's built off Sweet. of 11D. I'm probably hosted on Netlify when I get around to kicking it up there. But right now I just have a, a page up there that people can sign up on. But 
yeah anyway so it sounds like we've we've ground you down after just a, like a handful of uh, podcasts where you've had people talking about jamstack whether it was me and divya or if it was uh, gareth talking about jamstack we've you've you've gradually been ground down to uh, like the jamstack is the way for your site to go well what really did it i'll admit is uh between you and christopher and andy uh-huh. um he, he was talking about all the pain he didn't have anymore because he switched off of wordpress and i'm sitting there right. going yeah, that sounds like my pain. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people relate to that. You know, it's the, the old thing of, uh, yeah, my site works fine. Uh, it's been living for a long time. And now, oh, crumbs are now I need to, apparently I need to update something on my server because my, my host is going to deprecate something. So I need to update yeah. something. And it just, it's like this chain of things you need to need to get sorted. I know I've, I've lost work and sites in the past from uh-huh. not having my act together and being able to maintain a, a lamp stack server for you know six or seven years after i deployed something yeah the the other part of it now though is that i have a team that writes the show notes and everything else uh-huh. and so they get in and i'm like okay you can touch this and this and nothing else <laughs> don't touch any of the moving bits it'll fall apart <laughs> so so yeah it, and it works out well but it does get confusing for them too because i have a whole bunch of um yeah, we're, we're we're talking about Jamstack and WordPress uh, instead of interviewing you. But I'm it, sorry. It, yeah, How no, it's all good. It's it's just it's a natural <laughs> thing to fall into because it's yeah. yeah, it's something we have in common. But yeah, it's I've got a bunch of what do they call them? Custom post types. Uh huh. In WordPress, and so yeah, the setup is different from anything that any of them have ever seen before. And so it's like, okay, you have to go do it this way. And right. Anything new, I have to go set up and. If I'm going to do that, I'd rather just write freaking HTML. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's what you're outputting in the end anyway, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, I'm toying with the idea of making them learn markup or markdown. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. But markdown's not that complicated. So it's funny. Some, some people seem to really um, dig their heels in and not want to learn markdown. And then other people just absolutely adore it. I, I remember talking to some friends of mine who worked mm-hmm. on the the gov uk project over in in the uk which had a big like this flagship piece of work by the the government which is never a never a a, a body of people you expect to be doing really innovative technical <laughs> it's really this really kind of trade uh, blazed the trail for you know really architecting sensible like technology stacks for big projects yeah. like this and they had like thousands and thousands of civil servants who were content managers who were used to editing pages with you know, Word document templates, and that's what they knew, and they oh. were never going to want to change to something else. And then they introduced uh, Markdown as the tool that they would use, and after a small kind of learning curve, the editors loved it. Their content authorship yeah. went up through the roof just because it's it's simpler and it's like a very constrained set of rules, and it turned out to be really productive for them. So I, I don't know. The, if uh, thousands and thousands of civil servants who are maybe – of a particular age and mindset can adopt uh, Markdown and be productive. That that kind of gives me hope for the rest of us. Yeah, uh, there there are a number of jokes here in the U.S. about uh, government workers, <laughs> right? I'm sure. <laughs> and their mental capacity. <laughs> so yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. And yeah, you know, not all not all government workers are mentally deficient, but. The government doesn't of always a high standard. We'll just put it that way. It's, well, it's, it's, I think for me, it's more like there are lots and lots and lots of people working on these giant projects, and th- yeah. that's, a, that's a ship that's very slow to steer. So, There's uh, a ton of bureaucracy that they have to work yeah. through for everything. Yeah, yeah, it's difficult. Yeah. 
but anyway, so it's, it's definitely interesting. And I found a few, um, you know, WYSIWYG editors that translate stuff over to Markdown. So I may just say, look, it has to go in in Markdown, but I don't care how you get there. So if you want to use this other tool, do it. Right. But anyway, there's options. All right. Well, I'm going to veer us into uh, talking about Phil and less about Jamstack. So, okay. Um, Anyway, do you want to just give a brief introduction? I mean, we, we've kind of talked about Netlify and what you do there, but um, is there anything else that folks should know about you? Yeah, well, so, I mean, maybe uh, the, the, my tiny, tiny backstory is that, um, you know, I've been developing stuff for the web for about almost exactly 20 years now. Um, I've been at Netlify for about 18 months, but prior to that, I was working in agencies. So I did about nine years working at agencies on like, projects of different, different flavors and different sizes for all kinds of different brands, public and private sector. And before that, I was working um, uh, all kinds of different software places. I worked at British Telecom for a while, doing open source innovation there. But I cut my teeth. Uh, my first job was putting numbers on screens for traders to trade off, so kind of real-time market data over the web. Um, and at that point, there were no web sockets. There was no long polling. There was no Ajax. There was, there was nothing that made it easy to put real-time data on screens for traders to trade off. So it was things like Java applets and all kinds of shenanigans. Um, but I was doing web development, doing kind of front-end development, trying to build UIs that kind of sat on front of the, in front of these kind of Java applets to, to make, make user interfaces. So it was, it was very challenging, but it was, it was loads of fun. And it felt like it was doing work at a time where the JavaScript landscape, landscape was changing really quickly. Lots to learn and lots of new new toys came along, but I'll be honest, I wish WebSockets were a thing when I was doing that. It would have changed, <laughs> changed my life completely. Yeah. How did you get into programming? Um, well, I mean, I, it's, I, I kind of formally got into it uh, in a gap year, really. You know, I, was, I originally was studying um, uh, civil engineering, uh, and hating it, really, really doing very badly uh, in my university career. Um, and I was, uh, I said gap year, it was like an industrial placement year where I was, had the very exotic life of uh, living in like a porter cabin, like a shack under a motorway. <laughs> with, oh, with wow. Well, yeah, it was very, very exotic. Um, uh, but the, uh, the place that I'd found to live, it was like a shared, shared uh, flat. And uh, the, the guys I would, I just kind of happened to be, you know, sharing with, they were both studying computer science. Um, and I was, I'd always been a kind of interested. And so I got talking to them more and more and got more interested in it and ended up changing course and changing university so that I would, I would go and study computer science. So that's when I kind of formally got into it. But years before then, I'd always been dabbling around. You know, I used to have a Sinclair Spectrum, you know, back in the day that I would, you know, buy the magazine for and painstakingly copy line by line the 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 program for uh for some kind of crummy game that i would end up recording onto a cassette and and then it would fail and all those kind of things um and even did uh, like my my uh at school i did my arts coursework on a computer you know i did I, I programmed kind of um things to reproduce artwork and stuff like that so i was always dabbling you know since i was since i was kind of young but it was only really when I had a bit of a change of direction when I was at university that I got into it more formally. And, uh, you know, was, that, was a, that was a bit of a change of direction for me just because I found it, found it really interesting. And so I went off and started studying computer science, which, to be honest, I 
didn't do brilliantly at. I found it hard to study computer science. Um, found it really tricky. Um, but along the way, uh, not part of the course. This was kind of uh, early, early to mid nineties. Um, you know, the web wasn't part of the curriculum at all. But you know, someone started showing me this magical thing called HTML. Uh, where I didn't have to compile it and I didn't have to do any of these other things. I didn't have this complex environment to, to work on. I would edit, edit a text file and save it and hit refresh in my browser and see the result. And that was kind of magical to me. So that's, that's where I kind of embarked on a, on a life of making things for the web and just learning more about it and, and, and loving the kind of the immediacy of it. So that's, that's how I really feel like I got started. Awesome. So uh, then you graduated and what, you went and got your first job in uh, web development? Yeah, yeah so that, that's when I went and got my first job at a software house that, um, that, that, that did this kind of market data work. So yeah, putting numbers on screens for, for traders. But it wasn't the first job offer I got. The first job offer I got after graduating with a computer science degree, moving down to London, uh, you know, getting somewhere to live and then like, okay, crumbs, I've got, I've got a few weeks until my next rent is due and I don't have a job yet. So uh, mm-hmm. I was applying for work. And the first job offer I got was actually from an IT um, uh, kind of uh, recruitment consultancy that I'd signed up for. And the first job they offered me was driving a van that had computers in it. Um, <laughs> not exactly a computer. Not quite what I had in mind, if I'm honest. But, um, but it was, you know, it was, there was some pressure that, you know, I'm going to have to make rent in a few weeks. So I, I didn't dismiss it out of hand, but thankfully I did dismiss it. Uh, and then I got myself this job working for, a, for this, uh, this um, market data kind of company. And that's where I started to really learn about the web a lot more. Um, that's where I started to, to build things with, H, with, uh, with JavaScript, you know, a bit more formally. You know, I'd, I'd been using it for image swaps, a few bits and pieces like that. Uh, before and uh, a few bits of DHTML back in those glorious days of uh, really oh, brute, yeah. yeah, brute forcing things around the screen with JavaScript and uh, <laughs> it was clumsy, but it was fun. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that's that's where I kind of started. But yeah, once I joined this this company, I was just learning a lot more about how HTTP worked and about you know what the kind of constraints there are in browsers and those kind of things. And uh, that's where I, that's where I really started learning and learning a lot faster. I think once I'd got, got into some practical, you know, applications, what I'd learned before. Yeah. Well, back in the day too, the, the HTML and how that all worked, that was much more interesting in my opinion than um, the front end because the front end, it was, yeah, you could, you could kind of nudge things around, you know, we finally got the DOM and that made things a lot easier and, mm-hmm. and jQuery or prototype and that made things yeah. a lot easier. But yeah, I mean, back in the day, JavaScript was just a way of, you know, making your web page kind of play nice, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just trying to add some kind of interactivity or something, something that felt slightly dynamic in the front end. Yeah. Um, I actually remember being like, more excited than I should be by it should have been by uh, an effect I saw on Alta Vista. If you remember those, that back in the day, mm-hmm. the, the old, the old. I was going to say a search engine, but actually it wasn't. It was a, it was a portal, I guess, wasn't it? Just like yep. just tons of links all over the site, and it was the thing that fascinated me was the the hover effect on links, which I'd never seen before. Like a long list of links, just running my cursor up and down the page, seeing it, seeing it change under under the cursor. It was amazing how that suddenly felt like, oh, this, this is something you can really interact with and just and really kind of engage yeah. with 
And it was a tiny, tiny thing. Of course, it's just, just a hover state in CSS, but seeing that for the first time was, was super interesting. And it kind of, it kind of sparked my imagination a little bit. It's, it's funny how small the seeds are that can kind of grow into something a lot bigger. Um, yep. But uh, yeah, that was kind of interesting to me. So when was it that things clicked at all where you were thinking, okay, this JavaScript thing is a thing? Um, let's see. I mean, I think, I think it would have been uh, probably a few jobs in where, you know, I'd been, I'd been building stuff for the web, but um, it was around the kind of dawn of, of Ajax, around that kind of time where I changed job and I ended up working for a, for a company that was um, actually later got bought by VMware. Um, and they were building um, a web-based application that would, it, it was managing lots of servers in the background, but it had a web front end. And that was, a, that was probably the first touch I've had on something that I would really describe as a web application. And it was built with JavaScript and there was lots of interactivity and it had um, a team who were building an API in the back end that was like built on top of Java, but it was a, a RESTful right. API. Um, and that was my first chance really working in a team where there was this kind of logical separation of an API layer and a front end. And um, I guess it was around the time that I suppose prototype would have been coming out as well, um, just shortly before jQuery. Um, so we were doing things like, you know, just building ourselves JavaScript utilities to help normalize some of the difference in, differences in the browsers, the kind of things that we just take for granted now when, you know, mm -hmm. jQuery came along and just, just like flattened out the landscape for all of the different browsers and just, you know, we, we kind of poke fun a little bit sometimes at jQuery now, but it's, it was just so groundbreaking and it's such an enabler for oh, all kinds of developers. I mean, I hate, would have hated to have not had jQuery along the way. It's, it's just so, uh, the profound difference it made is just, it's just huge, I think. Oh yeah, all the headaches of this works on in this browser, but not that browser, or, right. oh, there's this special function. And uh, Internet Explorer was the worst at that, right? They all had right. their little quirks in it. And yeah, jQuery just so, took care of all of that for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, so yeah, I have, I have a lot of affection for jQuery and, and, and the, the path it kind of, uh, it kind of uh, made for us all to follow. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's easy to kind of overlook that, that now, now that browsers are doing, you know, a better job of normalizing some of their APIs and, yep. you, know, you know, some of the things that we had to depend on libraries for, now we can do directly. And, um, and the framework know, smooth over some of that too. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and it, it's weird how now, you know, we're starting to get so much more used to using frameworks and using kind of, you know, big build kind of environments to create these things that we forget that, well, the, some of the browsers have become much more powerful to use directly as well. I mean, I know um, people like Chris Ferdinandi are often talking about using vanilla JavaScript and doing things directly. Yeah. And it's so much more possible to do that now. Um, you know, it's, it's absolutely the case that you don't have to drop in a big library or framework to do a lot of things. We often do just because it's convenient and it feels like, you know, it's the, the hammer we've been, become used to, but we don't right. always need to do that. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I, I think maybe it's some of my uh, slightly older roots in building stuff for the web that, you know, I sometimes think of myself as a, a bit of a, a web hippie and a bit of a, you know, a, a bit risk averse, a bit cautious and like to try and write as few lines of JavaScript as possible. I like to ship as little code as I possibly can. Um, but I still consider myself, you know, a JavaScript fan. Um, but I'm just yeah. I'm really cautious. Uh, I'm, I think I'm going to make you a shirt that says Phil Hawksworth, web hippie. Sold. 
I will wear it with pride. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I love it though. So I'm, I'm curious. I mean, we had you on to talk about Jamstack. And what's yeah. interesting is, is that sometimes Jamstack includes a framework and sometimes it doesn't, hmm. which, you know, is kind of the argument that I, I feel like we have off and on on JavaScript Jabber regarding what JavaScript is. And I'm curious, A, how did you get into Jamstack? And then B, how do you envision people actually working with it, you know, in the current state of where JavaScript is? Yeah, well, I mean, the, re the reason I got into it uh, was um, back when I was working at agencies, um, mm -hmm. working with often kind of big brands that would have, you know, they've invested millions, tens of millions, sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars over the years on their infrastructure. Um, yeah. Big kind of, uh, I'm doing the air quotes, enterprise grades, you know, infrastructure. Um, but ultimately it's for websites. And uh, it was really difficult to build stuff on those stacks. You know, often it would yep. take a really long time to either get environments provisioned or go through deployment processes, all of those kind of things. Um, and very often the kind of things that we were designing and actually implementing, realistically, you know, they had lots of interactivity in the front end. But very often they were effectively, you know, what we would consider to be static websites. You know, they're statically hosted. They didn't need to perform any logic at request time on a server. Right. They needed to get stuff into the browser as fast as possible and do things with it there. So I became quite um, enthusiastic about finding efficient ways to build things statically. Mm -hmm. um, got really into static site generators. Was a huge fan of Jekyll, uh, as I still am, um, and just found efficient ways of building effectively building html building websites and then hosting them statically and so you know when on the occasions that i could do that we found that we could rapidly reduce the or drastically reduce the the time to market reduce the costs reduce some of the uncertainty you know because my role was um as a technical director i was often the person who would be asked okay how much is this infrastructure going to cost to build this thing for us and it's like oh, mm -hmm. okay well, we've got a lot to a lot of servers we might need to factor in, a lot of different architecture we might need to think about. And there's always this kind of line on a, on a, on a, on a form that we'd be having to fill in. It's like expected users per month. And it's like, I don't know. It's somewhere between none if it's a disaster. <laughs> and, you know, this was a multiplier that would, you know, impact how many servers, you know, how we'd architect it, how much it was going to cost and all those kind of things. So, I got quite enamored with this process of or this approach of saying, we're going to take a ton of this infrastructure out and we'll just serve it right. statically from a CDN directly. Um, and then it's built to scale by default. You know, it's impervious to all of these kind of um, security hacks that might, you know, we might be scared mm -hmm. of for our other infrastructure. So many of these things just kind of got simplified out just because they, they just weren't a factor anymore. Yep. So that, that became quite a successful approach for the projects I was working on, and I got really excited about that. Um, and kind of along the way, um, I'd be calling out different services that could help with that. I mean, I was very enthusiastic about GitHub pages, um, very enthusiastic about Surge. I don't know if you've come across Surge, which is another kind of static hosting service where you, you know, install, a, install a, uh, um, an NPM package, and then you can run a command, and it deploys to their infrastructure. And I got excited about Netlify, which is a kind of similar thing, and which is where I work now. Um, right. And, and so, you know, by by doing occasionally going and doing talks about this before I joined Netlify, um, kind of Netlify spotted me and I'm like, oh, thanks for the thanks for the name check, um, and you know, 
cut to the end of the story and that's where I work now. So it's, it's weird because I used to be going on about this, this approach long before I joined Netlify, but now I'm there, I have to be a bit more cautious about how I talk about it. Cause I, I guess people will think, well, you're going to be enthusiastic about this kind of approach because that's where you work. But actually the, the inverse is true. Right. So, uh, so yeah, that's how I, how I found my way there. But when you're kind of, sorry, your original question <laughs> about, about, um, you know, how, how people might use Jamstack and, uh, you know, what really that is. Um, I think, uh, for me, the biggest aspect attribute of a Jamstack site is that it can be served directly from a CDN with no origin. It's, it's kind of a bit confusing the fact that the letter J is right there at the front of Jamstack mm -hmm. and standing for JavaScript, because there's this suggestion that, oh, well, every site then has to be built with JavaScript. Right. And in actual fact, it, can be embellished with JavaScript or progressively enhanced with JavaScript, but mm -hmm. it doesn't need to be served uh, or, right. or rendered with JavaScript. It's a really powerful way of doing more with our sites than we might ever have thought possible because the browser APIs are richer and we can interact with them with, with, them with JavaScript or external APIs are available for us to interact with JavaScript. But for me, a Jamstack site is something that's pre-rendered as much as possible and served in the simplest way possible without an origin server directly right. from a CDN. That's the crux of it for me. That's awesome. And that's, <laughs> that's an interesting way of thinking about it because I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it from the CDN angle, but that makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, because that's, that's the thing that um, just, just elevates these, these sites to new possibilities for me. Mm -hmm. The fact that um, you don't need to maintain an origin server um, yeah, all of this logic can run and you have to, you have to keep breathing the entire time. Um, I've worked in quite a few projects back in my agency days where this architecture wasn't available to me. It's like, well, we, we've invested this money, so you, you better well use it. Yeah. And, uh, and then you end up saying, okay, well it's doing okay, but we're worried about scaling it. Mm -hmm. We're worried about the performance. And so, okay, well we've, we've paid for a big expensive CDN to sit in front of it. So just configure the assets in and out of the CDN, figure out what's cached, what's not, how things are going to be a cache hit, what's going to be a miss. So, oh, this is, this is hard. It's hard to do. So if you can take that complexity away and just say everything of this site is served from the CDN, yep. you, you, it just simplifies the, the headaches of, of managing the infrastructure. No, that makes sense. So what, what's been your favorite thing that you've done with JavaScript or Jamstack? What's the thing you're most proud of or excited to talk about? Well, I mean, there's uh, that's, a, that's a tough one because I, I get excited both by kind of simplicity um, and something that's right, really simple and elegant or by, you know, something that's kind of wacky and out there or, you know, pushing, pushing the envelope and there's just mm -hmm. complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm still really, really proud of the of the of that uh, clunky old web application that I mentioned right back at the beginning that uh, was effectively you know a JavaScript app that I was building to to manage servers and infrastructure and things in the background, just because I had to invent some of it so much of it from first principles and um, you know make lots of mistakes along the way and build out my own kind of libraries and those kind of things. But I really was excited about discovering this kind of decoupled architecture at the time about building things that talk to APIs. So I'm still right. really proud of, proud of that work. I, I'm not so proud that I'd like to see it shipped and in production somewhere at the moment. I think it's confined <laughs> to uh, like a, a, a happy memory um, that might not live on in the best way. But in a weird sense, um, 
you know, the, uh, it, it has a lot in common with uh, the, something I, I have a kind of peripheral contact with at the moment, which is Netlify's admin UI. Mm-hmm. That effectively is the same thing. You know, it's, uh, it's a, a web application, which is talking to a bunch of, of, of uh, APIs uh, to configure infrastructure. And I hadn't really thought about it until you just asked me, but I guess these are kind of the same thing. It's just that this one is built in React and it benefits from all of the, you know, all of the improvements and capabilities of browsers and of, of modern JavaScript frameworks like React. Right. But it's still building on this same architectural model of, you know, something happening in the front end and talking to decoupled APIs. And I'm kind of proud of that as well, because I think it's, uh, it's kind of, it's it simplicity kind of, uh, kind of belies the complexity that's behind it, which I, which I really like. So those are both kind of complex things, but I love silly things as well. You know, I, I um, built a silly example, which is a, a comments engine, which is built on the Jamstack. And that's mm-hmm. like some forms and some APIs and some hooks and some automation. And I'm kind of proud of that because it's a silly little example, but it works really nicely. Um, and it's just one of those things that when you start pulling, putting different Lego blocks together, in interesting ways, you can do all kinds of fun things. And I really like that. I, I like piecing the different pieces together to, to make something new. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of pleased with that. Nice. So what are you working on these days? Uh, well, there's, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm busy off talking at conferences and doing things for, you know, for Netlify and also just talking about Jamstack a lot. Um, but you know, we're also doing a lot of work on, um, some of the tooling at Netlify. Um, we recently launched Netlify dev, which is this, uh, uh I love awesome. Netlify dev. Yay. There we are. There's a, there's a convert right away. I love that. <laughs> uh, and I mean, Netlify dev is one of those things that, um, yeah, our, one of, one of our founders, uh, Matt Billman, he, uh, he, he's one of these people who can, you, you don't, you never want him to get on a long flight. Because when he gets off the flight at the other end, he's had some ideas and he, he's made some prototypes. <laughs> this thing, we're like, oh, oh, okay, all right, let's see. And it just turns out to be something mind-blowing. And I think that's kind of what happened with Netlify Dev. He's like, okay, well, we can, we can build this tooling and let's, let's look at this. And then, of course, it needs to be productized and turn into something that we can ship. Right. Um, but uh, and it's great. I, the thing I love about it is that it fills this gap for me. You know, I, I got into static websites because I love the fact that you could run a build locally. You could get some assets that you could look at on your local server and you can say with confidence, this is what it's going to be like if I pick these assets up and I stick them on some kind of simple web host somewhere, you know, whether that's hosted from Dropbox or from S3 or from, you know, from wherever it's going to be the same. So I loved that. And so I was really enjoying that process. But then Netlify came along and they kind of automated a bunch of these things. Great. That's all, that's all fine. The same thing's still true. But then when you start to add some other intelligence in like, um, like uh, CDN nodes that you can configure to do redirects, you know, and have redirect rules and, and right. those kind of things. Super powerful. But your thing is, how do you replicate that locally? How do you do the same thing locally? And Netlify Dev comes along and it does exactly that. It means that, you know, the exact same CDN logic um, that runs on our edge nodes, uh, you know, that's compiled down um, using WebAssembly and runs locally on your, on your environment. So you can have exactly the same experience locally as you can um, when it's deployed to production. So it kind of smooths out those gaps again. So there's a lot of work going on to, uh, on building that out and kind of building demos to show how, it's, how it works and documenting it and all of, 
all of that good stuff that makes it go from um, an idea that someone had on a plane to uh, something that uh, can be shipped and can can be can be really useful. Yeah, and see, for me, I I don't have any of the CDN redirects or anything, but for me, the kicker was that. Um, if I just loaded it out of my own file system, then any of the references that had a, a root reference, so slash something, slash something else, wouldn't mm -hmm. work. And so my CSS and JavaScript wouldn't load properly. I'd have to fiddle with it. Um, so then I'd go install some HTTP server, and I could never remember exactly what it was that I put on there and yeah. then how to run it. And so Netlify dev just kind of goes, oh, here you go. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It's, it's it kind of gets progressively smarter because yeah, if you've just got some assets, it will say, "Oh, I'll spin you up a little static server so that it'll yeah, you know, all of your paths work correctly because it's as if it's a, a server rather than a file system." But if it, the other nice thing is, if it does spot that you're using a build tool, if you're using like Gulp or Grunt or something like that, or if you're using a static site generator that comes with its own build tool, it'll spin that up for you as well, and then sit as a oh, layer yeah. in front of it. So it kind of gives you this kind of sugar across the top. Um, and that's really nice because it doesn't just add things like the redirects, but it also adds support for things like um, centrally managed environment variables. So you can, you know, you can configure environment variables up in like Netlify mm -hmm. admin so that when your build runs, it picks those things up and uses them. Right. But then typically what people will do is they'll use something like .env, you know, locally, which kind of uh -huh. allows them to define those variables locally in a, in a .env file which they hopefully will remember not to commit to version control. So <laughs> but this takes that away because now if you run Netlify dev, it'll grab the environment variables from your project and inject those into your build as it runs. So you can just manage them in one place and then it kind of quietly just uses those locally as well. So there's a yep. bunch of different tools that, um, that it adds. And the one that I should probably um, give the team the big shout out for is the pipeline for um, building serverless functions. That is just really yeah. um Because you know, all of the stuff that um, I think Divya and I probably kind of banged on about a little bit back when we were on before, you know, talking about like the deployment processes and the uh, you know, the the kind of um, workflow that Netlify gives you, it now does that for functions as well. So if you're running Lambda functions, if you're building Lambda functions, you can just you it, Netlify Dev will give you this way of just bootstrapping these functions. It'll even give you like boilerplate different examples of functions that you can then iterate. And when you deploy your site, that quietly in the background deploys them off to AWS Lambda, sets up all your API gateway, all of that stuff, and then just gives you a URL which is relative to your root of your project where these, these functions now live. And I don't know. I, I was always excited about being able to do that stuff in the past, but now it's now it's within my reach. I'm I'm always going to be rubbish at doing something like managing AWS, um, but I can oh, yeah. I can manage this now through the, these tools. So yeah, there's a lot of work going on around around that part of the kind of tool chain, which um, I'm I'm pretty excited about right now. Yeah, a lot of that stuff too. I I don't want to fiddle with that stuff. I just want to write the code and then know that yeah. it's going to get run at the right time with the right data. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, that's, that's super nice. Uh, and I've used yeah. like the serverless framework and things like that. And, mm -hmm. you know, to get around some of that, but yeah, setting it up on my own, like logging into the, the interface that, uh, the Amazon folks have put together for Lambda. That's just, that, I, it makes me hurt. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, it's so hard. It's, it's like, hard. it shouldn't be this hard, but. Yeah, and you know, the, in fairness, there's, it's, really complex stuff there's a lot going on there and it's oh yeah it's, it's very clever but um yeah i 
I think things like that really make me appreciate good uh, UI design and really kind of you know care there to like, just shield you from the hurt. Um, yeah. Because the right level of abstraction. Here are all yeah. the things that we think you might care about. Right. <laughs> all the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. So it's um, I don't know. It's it's very difficult to get that stuff right. But yeah, this this seems to be a nice um, workflow at the moment. I'm I'm having a lot of fun building things with it, and uh, um, yeah, it's. It's one of the kind of perks of, of the job that I've got that I get to play with these tools and then say, oh, here's, here's an idea. Could we make, uh, you know, uh, an Instagram clone or this or that or who knows? And then go off and play and see if you can experiment and pull those tools together and make something and then and then talk about it. So that's that's a lot of fun. I'm, uh, you know, I'm a bit of a kid in a candy store sometimes. Yep, Absolutely. So uh, one other question I have for you is what, what does a day in the life of Phil Hawksworth look like? Not just work, but like you get up in the morning and you do X, Y, Z all the way till you go to bed. Oh, typical day. That's, that's kind of tricky. I have a feeling that if you ask anyone who works in developer relations, what a typical day looks like, they'll kind of, they'll pull a face and go, Oh, I don't know what a typical day really is. Cause uh, you know, I spend quite a lot of time traveling for conferences and things like that, or, you know, going backwards and forwards, which I really enjoy. But I also really enjoy the days where I get to just work at home. So I work remotely. You know, I'm, I'm based here just outside London. Um, half of the, the company is over in San Francisco and the rest of us are dotted around. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, a lot of my team are eight hours behind me, which you know, as someone who has come from working in an environment where it was like very meeting heavy and uh, you know, didn't get a lot of uh, thinking time, it's a huge luxury for me. So um, I find that it's very easy to spring out of bed and want to get straight into work. So my, my first challenge of every day is not just to open up my email or check Slack or check Twitter to see what's been going on and just kind of accidentally crossfade from being in bed into being at work. I, I'm very strict about making sure I kind of uh, go out for a little run or have some and have some breakfast and kind of get up and start my day properly. That's, that's the tricky discipline. Um, but then once I get into it, you know, I, I spend a lot of time reading what people have been talking about, posting about on Twitter related to kind of Jamstack and just web development in general, seeing what's kind of good to, to kind of jump on the back of and either contribute to or kind of take, take into consideration, kind of catch up with the conversations that have been going up on about the product, you know, about the, the Netlify platform and the kind of product team, see what they've been all talking about. Uh, and then very often I'll start, um, uh, trying to build something out, you know, often I've often, uh, I don't know about you, but I have all my good ideas in the shower. I don't know if, mm -hmm. am I oversharing by saying that? I don't know. I have a lot of good ideas in the shower. I'm like, oh, I want to make this thing. Uh, so, you know, often I'll be, uh, trying to kind of dabble and make a little experiment when I start. And then hopefully that'll be something that will become interesting that I can then talk about, maybe write a talk about or a blog post about. So I spend a lot of time kind of doing those kind of things, which is, which is a lot of fun, if I'm honest, after, again, you know, being once upon a time in an environment where it was meetings from dawn till dusk. Um, so, uh, so hopefully I'll be able to have enough kind of headroom in my day before um, people wake up West Coast. Uh, and then I, then I start collaborating with that team and, uh, you know, kind of coordinating a little bit. So it's very rare that two days are exactly alike, but, uh, but that's, that's, a, that's a kind of a nice day for me there. Nice. 
And, uh, you know, are you married? Do you have kids that you chase around or anything like that? So I'm married, but there are no kids around. There's uh, There are two cats around who um, both like to um, help with the keyboard. They very, <laughs> Usually if I'm on Twitter or on Slack, something, you know, where any mistype will be communicated immediately, that's when they like to get involved uh, and help out. Uh, but no, it's uh, other, other than other than them. It's just my wife and I. So that that kind of makes it a little bit easier for when I'm when I'm traveling around to lots of conferences. You know, when I when I get back, I'm I'm not handed uh, uh, a baby like a lot of uh, my colleagues mm-hmm. are, which you know is means that you know when they get back, they've they've still got quite a lot of uh, work to do. I'm very fortunate; I can kind of sit on the sofa and and take a big deep breath once I get back from a from a busy conference. Yep. Yeah, I know. I know how the other end works. I mean, my youngest is three now, so they just all kind of climb on me. But right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's <laughs> and that's that's wonderful. But there's there's no getting back from a trip and saying, "Oh, I'm tired. That was a long trip. I'm just going to sit quietly." So no, you're on duty now. Oh, you you could do that. You just get the look, <laughs> <laughs> and rightly so. <laughs> Very cool. Um, all right. So the last thing that we do is picks. Do you have some things you want to shout out about on the show? Oh, crumbs. Uh, Oh, I don't know. I'm not prepared. I'm not prepared for picks. Let's, uh, think. Um, I can jump in with picks. You go first while I think. So, uh, one thing that I've been working on, um, and this kind of came out of, um, I hate it. I don't want to ramble, but I'm going to ramble. So um, this kind of came out of writing the Get uh, get a Coder Job book, which I have now retitled to uh, Find Your Developer Dream Job. And, and it's because I started writing it for new people. And then I had a whole bunch of people who had had like maybe their first year or two's worth of jobs mm-hmm. in development. And then they're like, these are all the things I hate about this job. I don't know how to find a job that gives me what I want. And I'm like, well, I wrote that book for the beginner people, but it's just as applicable to you because it's the same process, right? Here's how you figure out what you want from your job. And then here's how you find a job that's going to give it to you. Yeah. So I put that together and I'd been working off and on on a video course to go with it. And so I'm probably going to publish that next, but I was putting it together. And as I was talking to people for the book, I had a whole bunch of people come to me and essentially they were saying, look, um, you keep telling me that the big thing I need to do is go get involved in a JavaScript community or a Ruby community or a, you know, whatever community, right? Mm-hmm. And there's nothing near me. And of course, then I go and I'm like, okay, what's your, what's your zip code? Um, and, and we're looking for JavaScript groups, right? And then I'll find them a group near them on meetup.com. Mm-hmm. And about half of the people I was able to do that just right out of hand. It's like, is this close to you? Yeah, that's 20 minutes away. Okay, that's close enough. You can make it to that, right? Nice. Um, but then I'd find out, you know, some of these folks, like they had kids that had baseball games those evenings or uh, other folks just lived in areas where they really didn't have a community. Right. And it's like, well, I could go set something up, but I'm going to get like two people who do PHP and a couple of us that have gone through free code camp and, you know, and so it's not really a community that, I mean, I can learn some things from them, but that's not what I'm going to be getting out of it. I'm going to be getting out of, you know, I'm going to get relationships and general principles of programming. And I want something that's a little more focused. It's going to help me learn React or Angular or right. whatever. Right. So I was like, okay, well, there's got to be a way to do this. And I did remote conferences for a couple of years, mm. actually. And I'm, I'm finding out now talking to people that I should have kept doing them because people want those a lot more now than they did three or four years ago when I was doing right. it. 
Yeah. So I'm probably going to start those up too. Hint, hint, keep an eye out. Um, but in the meantime, um, I'm like, I need to build this community for these people, right? I need, I need to put something out there because I'm, I hate being one of those people that says somebody ought to, because somebody ought to means nobody's going to. Right. And so uh, I'm putting it together. Um, I currently am just putting together a wait list because uh -huh. I don't want to launch it until I have enough people to make a go of it. But uh -huh. if you go to, and Phil, you can't go there yet because uh, I haven't actually put the website up completely yet. Awesome. Everywherejs.com. Yeah. Sorry, I over it. Say it again. Everywherejs.com. Because here we have like Utah.js and, uh, you know, uh -huh. other places they have, you know, uh, we are here JS, you know, wherever they are. Yeah. And so yeah. I was like, well, this is kind of everywhere. So everywhere JS. I like and it. The idea is, is that I will bring in people from the wider JavaScript community. So it might be Phil or I might wind up getting, uh, we've had Brendan Ike, for example, on the show. I'm not making any promises, but mm -hmm. we're going to try and get him to come in, right? And talk about JavaScript or, you know, people that you want to hear from that are going to help you, you know, maybe learn some of the history of JavaScript or learn what you need to know to stay current. Or, hey, Jamstack's a different way of thinking about your JavaScript, right? And so it's, it's going to be kind of like JavaScript Jabber, except it's going to be interactive. It's going to be an actual talk. And then we're going to do our roundtable chat afterward. And so even if we have like 100 people, if you raise your hand and you want to join in the conversation, we'll just rotate people through. And we'll give people a chance to introduce themselves and talk about what they're doing and, and put their information out there so that if they want to get together with other people from the community, they can. Mm -hmm. And then we'll put together a forum and a Slack room and just give people space where they can come and say, I, you know, I, I want to stay current. Th that's the thing that I was here is stay current. And so um, you can check all that out. In fact, it's all going to be hosted. I'm also putting together an everywhere Ruby, everywhere J RB. Right. Um, yeah. Nice. And uh, all of this is going to be at keepcurrentacademy.com. So if you want to know where all of it is, it's keepcurrentacademy.com. And yeah, everywherejs is going to be at everywherejs.com. And that'll, that'll take you directly to where you need to go to put in your information for the, um, for the wait list. Well, and then yeah, keep really it, it sounds like a load of, a load of content, a load of, a load of things. Well, I mean, a lot of it depends on having people interact. And so that's why I'm saying I'm going to wait until I have enough of a community to where we can jump in and then have the conversation. Okay. What do you want to learn? Who do you want to hear from? And then, you know, make those people part of our community too. And yeah, I, I found that when I, when I go out and like try and start a Slack channel, if I'm like, okay, hey, we have a Slack, then I'll have 10 people join, then I'll have five people join. And, and so the, the conversation kind of comes and goes and fits and starts. And so I want to have a couple hundred people in when we start so that we can just immediately start having these conversations and everybody's there at the same time. And that way the conversations can continue on their own. And, you know, I'll be there and I'll be asking questions because I want to know what people are thinking. But I also want people to interact and have that kind of interaction there. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's, that's what we're doing. Cool. Well, I've, I've thought of a pick as well. All and right. You gave me, you gave me just a tiny bit of breathing room so I could, uh, I could think of a pick. So can I pick, can I pick a person? Is that? Yes. Is that is that is that cool? Um, yes. I, so this is some. So I saw a, a talk just uh, just this morning. I watched it on uh, some, someone sent me a link on Twitter, and it was a talk um, at uh, the conference. Uh, you got to love front end. It was talked mm -hmm. by Rich Harris, who's the you know creator of Svelte, this uh, 
um, this kind of rather beautiful. Felt is fascinating. It's really lovely, isn't it? And as I'm, I'm starting to really appreciate more and more um, Svelte and starting to get into it a, li a little bit more. Uh, very interesting looking framework that seems like it's it's learned the lessons um, you know that it's mm -hmm. observed from other frameworks such as React and Vue. Um, very very interesting. But the thing that I I want to call out as a pick was isn't Svelte itself. It's actually um, the talk by Rich Harris that I saw a video of from You Got to Love Frontend, and he did a talk called uh, Rethinking Reactivity, which kind of talks about you know what re what reactivity is. Um, how that's been implemented in React, what's good about it, where its limitations are, kind of inspiration that comes from how discoverable reactivity is right within spreadsheets, um, and then talks about the fundamentals of how that's been implemented in Svelte and talks about a few other things. Um, I found the content really good, but I just also thought the delivery was really brilliant. So um, I was uh, kind of raving about this talk after I just watched it, uh, just just on YouTube after after the event, which was I think last week. So so my pick there is uh, Rich Harris's talk, Rethinking Reactivity. Awesome. All right, Phil, real quick. I only have one minute and then I have another call. Um, okay. Where do people find you online? Okay, so you can either go to my website, which is hawksworks.com, H-A-W-K-S-W-O-R-X.com, uh, because I was trying to be cool once upon a time. Um, or you can find me on Twitter at Phil Hawksworth. Um, both of those places are places you can find me. Or oh, there's one other place which is a cool, pla cool place to find me. Um, there is one Slack community which seems to be really, really growing for the Jamstack community, and that's run by uh, Bud Parr in, uh, in New York. Um, and it's uh, the new dynamic. So I would definitely recommend going to the new dynamic.org uh, and then from there finding your way to the Slack uh, community that's, that's in there. If you're at all interested in talking about Jamstack and uh, things to do with kind of statically hosted sites and that kind of stuff, lots of interesting conversation going on in there. Nice. That's awesome. All right, Phil. Well, it was great talking and it was fun catching up. Yeah, likewise. Thanks so much for having me, Chuck. It was, uh, it was great fun. Thanks, you too. We'll uh, wrap this one up, folks, and we will catch you all next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.